Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a longtime gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Hi, and welcome back. We are continuing on and are all about the book of Revelation. Now, if you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to the first episode. And I know we're doing two episodes of All About Revelation, but there's so much to say. We can't get to it all in 20 minutes, so we're going to do more than one. So if you haven't listened to the first one, go back. But this time we talked about the genre and some of the elements that were common generally to this type of book and this type of revelation and gave you some examples. And this time I want to actually talk about the specifics of the book of Revelation. So we'll do All About the Book of Revelation next on the 20 Minute Scriptorian. All right, so welcome back. I am still in finals, and so this is late at night, so sorry if I sound sleepy. Uh, but let's talk about Revelation. So we talked a little bit about the genre, and I wanted to talk about a little bit of what what's going on between the structure and the content. So first, let's talk about in the structure and the content. Let's talk about the purpose, the purpose of this book. Now, last thing we discussed it a little bit, but I think John writes right out of the gate he kind of tells us what's going on now he's writing this to a number of the churches he's going to use the number seven we'll talk about that in a minute but he is going to talk about his own purpose for writing and then we'll jump into the details so some of the structure some proposed structures and then maybe some of the symbols we won't be able to get into all of this uh this is you could do a million years on this and i'm by no means an expert so i'll probably change my opinion on this over time but so john's purpose in writing is is complex and i don't think we'll be able to really understand but i think right out of the gate you'll see he has a few scriptures a few verses and it's a letter the structure seems to take the form of a letter and then it kind of gets wildly different at the end but starts out just like all the other letters introducing himself who's writing to as well as a a small benediction or a prayer um and that's what we see but right after that he's going to explain that this was to write to these local members of the church those this that were living in this area that were suffering and he's going to encourage them to remain faithful until jesus returns so some of them are being persecuted from temptations to just give up their faith to say you know this is too hard to do and then others were also reaching actual persecutions so he says he's writing to the churches in ephesus smyrna pergamum thyatira Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, and the rest of the world. Uh, so he wanted to write to them and let them know that Christ knew of their sufferings and then he would see them through it. And so Revelation guaranteed that uh, the Savior was already in control of a glorious future and that he would reward those who remain faithful, that this is just a short time, so to give comfort and hope. So in line with being a prophet, he expressed uh, some complimentary messages to the churches there, but also for everyone that would remain. This These blessings could be uh, applicable to us today. So he conveyed some 
some promises, but also some some threats, right? Some curses uh, that we're going to for those of, that are going to fall away. So we'll look at a little bit of both of those. But first, let's look at uh, he's, he's talking to the church in Smyrna in Revelation 2, 9. And he says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer suffer persecutions for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. So far from promising protection from suffering, John says that, hey, you're going to suffer. And at the same time, he lets them know that if they remain faithful, that they would receive the crown of life. So their suffering and possible death is only temporary, but their blessings would last forever. Now, this is the kind of encouragement that this letter is supposed to offer. So if you ever are reading this or you take a step back, I, I want us to come back and say, what was the purpose of the letter? It's to give this comfort in time of suffering. It's to reassure us that God is in charge, that even though these terrible things happen in our lives, and maybe it's not the end of the world, but when tough things come, we can trust in him and say, he, this is for a good purpose, or he understands, and he will ultimately bless us if we remain faithful. Uh, additionally, he ends up with some of the uh, the very end, uh, near, the, near the very end in, in 21, and some, some final blessings that believers will receive. And it's, so it's a 21-3-4, so it's kind of a capstone of this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. So this this vision is, is so hopeful that never fear, all your tears will be wiped away with these wonderful blessings. So so those are some of the, that's kind of the tone or the theme. And I know we get in there, we start trying to understand what's going on. And I want us to always take a step back and say, what was this about? Now, are we coming into the end times? I mean, it is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But it, you know, there have been hundreds of years and no one's had this apocalyptic, terrible wars and all these things that we think are like the last, very last day. We're always thinking of the very last day. But we've certainly lived through trials and we have our own personal trials and challenges. So so all of these things could be applicable to any day and age, let alone the very latter days. All right. So let's talk about who was writing and uh, so and when and kind of to these churches and what was going on. So let's take a step back from that. But I want you to remember the tone if you remember nothing else. First, it says the uh, the revelation of John. Now, it never says that this is John the apostle. It never says that this is John, the son of Zebedee, the, the one who wrote uh, from the apostle John. But uh, we know that that's, that's most likely who, who it was. And let me uh, glance over to one other reference for that. Hold on. Some of the first church fathers, the first fathers we call them, the ones that lived after Peter and lived for the first 100 to 400 years later, wrote that this was John, the, the same as the apostle. But some weren't sure what John it was. So there is some 
a dispute among scholars. However, in 1 Nephi 14, we learned that it was John that was foreordained to write these things, and also in Ether. So in a pre-Israelite society, there is another revelation. The same revelation seems to be given to the prophets to every age, so they could see it from Nephi to even before in Ether 4, uh, these similar visions or these theophanies and these uh, apocalypses, these revelation, a revelation, a unveiling happened. So it's the same John. It says John's going to read this. In fact, Nephi's like, hey, the uh, he's told, don't write all this, that this is for somebody else to write. And that was going to be John. So kind of interesting there. When was it written? Well, we know that John is on the Isle of Patmos, and Patmos is off the western, it's a really small island off the western coast of Turkey, but not very far from Ephesus. We've talked about that city quite a bit, and it's not very far there, but uh, it's written probably in the nine, anywhere from the 70s to the 90s, so in the latest part of the first century AD. And we also think at that point, obviously, the Jewish temple had been destroyed in 70. So talk about feeling like the end of the world was coming, right? The just things were just going from bad to worse. And and so we think John was writing, he says he's on the Isle of Patmos and it was on a Sunday and the Lord's Day and he's he is taken away in this vision. And so he writes that down. So that's that's kind of who and probably when. He's writing it to a number of the churches that are in that area, and I read butchered those Greek names, but the the names there, and they're all in the very s close together, actually, in the kind of the Turkey area, uh, and so the letters that Paul and even Peter and John are writing are mostly Peter and Paul are writing into this area, and these cities they've already started to experience apostasy then you'll see that when you we just went through all those letters and how many times did it say hey beware of false teachers and hold the faith and and draw closer to the savior and yet just even a few centuries or uh, decades later they're struggling and so the persecutions but also the apostasy and and things are starting to creep in right from the beginning and so this is going to write and say hey hold on hold on everyone So let's read through the first few verses because we're going to find who he's writing to, but also you'll see some of the themes and the direction that the book's going to take. It's really going to lay out, in some ways, the structure from us right out of the gate. So I'm going to read a uh, translation. This trans translation's from N.T. Wright. If, if you know me, you know I'm a Tom Wright fan. But uh, here it goes. Very simple, straightforward translation of Revelation 1, 1 through 8. Revelation of Jesus, the Messiah. God gave it to him to show his servants what must soon take place. He signified it by sending a message through his angel to his servant John, who, by reporting all he saw, bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, the Messiah. God's blessing on the one who reads the words of this prophecy and on those who hear them and keep what is written in it. The time you see is near. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace from he who is and he who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits that are before his throne, and from 
Jesus, the Messiah, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, glory to the one who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye shall see him. Yes, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. All right. Wow, what a powerful introduction. But you'll see it's uh, some great, powerful structure that's going to outline it. So let's go through it together. First, the book is kind of a four-stage revelation. It is about something God has revealed to Jesus himself. That was right in verse one. This is what was revealed to Jesus and which Jesus is then passing on via an angel to his servants. So it's a revelation from the father to Jesus, which then he's going to give to an angel to give to his servants through one particular servant. And that is John. So Jesus, God, Jesus, angel, John, down to the churches. Those lines get blurred as the book goes on, but the framework remains basic. Second, the book is a form of a letter. Did you see it there where it was like uh, chapters uh, two and three are to the seven churches in Western Turkey, but the book as a whole is a letter from John to all the churches telling them what he has seen. So that's like John to the churches and blessing, right? We see that letter form right there. Third, the book is a prophecy. So right in verse three, you saw that. So like many prophets of ancient Israel, uh, Nephi, Lehi, Alma, whomever, uh, Mosiah, right? We see that John draws freely on this, uh, the, the traditions of the prophets. And they were in themselves revelations of God and his purposes. So the very similar saying, hey, it's one, this is again another prophecy. So again and again, they come up fresh and in new forms. Fourth, the book functions as a witness. That's right in verse two. Here we meet a familiar problem, right? The word witness and testimony are basically the same. So it's hard to settle on one of these English words uh, at the exclusion of others. And so we kind of have both in this translation, which I like. So remember that it's a witness and a testimony. It's a person, but also a testimony. So these things, uh, we should remember that these, these two things, whenever we see either word. And they regular first that they carry a sense that God is ultimately conducting a great heavenly law court, right? A witness. You're a witness to an accident. Think of that if you were called on, uh, if you saw a car accident or something, you would be, I am a witness. And, and so you, it's a great law court. You are a witness to these events and you're called to uh, testify on what you heard. So, so that is the same thing that the witness born by Jesus and his followers is a key to the ultimate judgment and verdict. So in a law court, the witness born by Jesus and his followers is a key to the ultimate judgment and verdict. Also, the two words carry the sense that the Greek word martyr does in the English language, and that's those who bear testimony so that the, the testator, right, the, the, that who has the testimony may be well called to suffer or even to die for what they have said. Fifth, and probably the most important and everything that it comes from flows from the central 
figure and that's Jesus himself and then from God the Father but everything is flowing down through Christ he who is and who was and who is to come you see that twice verse 4 and verse 8 even in this really tiny little opening John manages to unveil a huge amount of what we know about God and Christ and the divine plan God is the almighty the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. Remember, Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. I'm the A and the uh, Z, right, from uh, uh, A to Z, right? And the, uh, so it's the same idea there. And the title occurs at the beginning and the end of John's book, also in, in uh, chapter 22. We're going to see it again. So other lords and rulers will claim similar titles, but there's only one God to whom they all belong. And Jesus right? Our savior is the one through his death and resurrection has accomplished God's purposes, his love for his people through the atonement, through his sacrifice, his purpose for them isn't just to rescue them, but to put them an important work of service that all these are here stated, right? Just bam in verse six. And so it's Jesus who is the one who will soon return to complete the task and set up his rule on earth. So as we kind of settle in and we start to say, here's what's happening. We've got this whole overarching theme. Now, there are a couple of ways that, uh, wow, powerful. So take a pause, go back. That I have a lot of thoughts there. But um, just amazing that that is the outset, that we see these major themes, this major outline, and this revelation coming right from from, uh, the Father. Now, there's some different ways that this is uh, people will lay structure. And I, I, I know I, I like to do structure, but I change my mind on how it's just an outline. But uh, one way I think is good, a couple different ways. And remember, it's just an idea is that there's kind of a vision of Christ. And you'll see that right one chapter one through part of three. So you'll see this vision of Christ right there. Then it moves from chapter four through 16 about coming events. And then you will see uh, the punishment of uh, the whore of Babylon or the great prostitute in 17 through 21. And then counter this kind of point counterpoint, if that's the, the great prostitute or the whore of Babylon, then the vision of the bride, the wife of the lamb of, of Revelation is in 21 through 22. And then a glorious conclusion 22 the very answer is 6 through 21 so you're going to see a vision of christ a vision about coming events this punishment of the whore of babylon a vision of the bride see how those point counterpoint and then after those four central visions then we see the book ends with the conclusion in the very end of 22 so that's that's it that's how we're going to attack it we'll probably do uh, maybe let's do four or five then episodes and we'll go through each of those together and join me as we continue on in the book of Revelation and finish up for the end of the year. Thanks everybody. Keep on reading.